Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. We are offering three conversations from this week's wrap-up of the recent Digital ILC 2021. This conversation incorporates a discussion among Quentin Anstey, Mazanuruddin, Stephen Harrison, Ian Rowe, Louise Campbell, and me around some of the non-drug and non-diagnostic events at the Congress. We talk about a new focus on multidisciplinary treatment and how to think of the roles that different specialties are going to play in the treatment of NASH, and also about some social issues of food insecurity and the value of alcohol legislation in different countries in reducing fatalities related to alcohol and alcoholic liver disease. This conference, with its 6,500 attendees, generated insight, new areas to explore, and controversy. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Last week, close to 6,500 stakeholders from across the global hepatology community convened virtually for the Digital International Liver Congress 2021. Today, join hepatology researchers and key opinion leaders, Dr. Stephen Harrison, Professor Quinton Anstey, Dr. Mazen Nuruddin, and Professor Ian Rowe, plus liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, and pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green as they explore some key topics from last week's Congress, today, on the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. A third really interesting focus that we commented on a lot was that this meeting was a lot more multidisciplinary. It spent sessions talking about primary and parts of sessions talking about primary care, a lot more focus on other related medical specialties. The people who came on the podcast agreed that that was really valuable and important. I guess my question is, what do you see coming out of that going forward and how, how does that convert into a change in practice or better outcomes of treatment for patients? We need to increase awareness in our partners in endocrinology and primary care because those where the patients come from and this is the first step it's partnering with them and I, I think uh, by implementing such a model having multidisciplinary team is the right step so I thought that that was very well done to increase awareness. Luis, you went to some of those sessions and spoke about some of them on pod, the day you were on podcast. Anything you want to comment on? I think I covered it in those sessions and is that we are putting in different and Quentin will know way more than I do about the local pathways in different areas of the country. There's obviously the Camden and Islington pathway. There's various pathways they're using Nottingham, Southampton. At the moment, we're doing pathways, but there seems to be no joined up single pathway. Is that right, Quentin, or is it just John Dillon had another uh, one? You're right. What we're seeing is right now, care delivery is very patchy. If you're lucky enough to live in a postcode in the UK or a zip code in America where Stephen lives, you're going to do better than if you're somewhere down the road where maybe there's a hepatologist who, who's less interested or so on in, in fatty liver disease. And that's something we need to try to get away with from. I mean, there's been a very nice opinion piece published today, actually, in Nature Reviews Gastroenterology, specifically looking at some of the care models that have been developed. It's worth the 
Jeff Lazarus has led, again, looking at some of the different models that have been used around and, and potentially which of those may be more tractable. We're all trying to struggle with the same challenge. Different people have found different solutions, whether it's reflex testing for biochemical abnormalities are done in, for example, Scotland in some areas, whether it's a different technique. And um, we need to try to learn and harmonise on those. The other thing that did interest me was some of the population studies. There was a very good one out of Spain that really showed that, and they used Fibroscan. I think it was a population of 12,000 from 16 GP practices versus 500 biopsy proven. And what they came up with was over um, 8% of the population had a fibre scan of over 8. So yeah, 5.6% of the population had a fibre scan of greater than 8, which is a bit concerning. When they drilled it down, 1.3% of the population had NASH, which is still quite concerning in a population study of quite a number of patients. That was echoed in other studies. You commented on the South American one. I wasn't there for that I don't know too much of the detail, but obviously Harry Rutter's presentation at the very start of the week on Wednesday evening really stressed the population style management programs and looking more at those levels than the individualized ones that we often talk about here with small studies. More and more data will be coming out as to population incidences um, of all sorts of liver disease, but particularly NAFLD and NASH. And just to comment on that, the one thing that, that raises my ire more than anything else is the undercalling of the percentage of NASH patients, particularly in middle-aged patients that we see in clinical practice. I'm not talking about the 90-year old nanogenarian that we might see, but we're not going to do a liver biopsy on them. I'm not talking about the five-year-old running around, and I'm not saying they can't have NASH with bad disease. I'm talking about, as an adult physician, the people that I see in clinical practice, how common is this disease? And it's a whole lot more common than people realize. And I would just caution that unless you do prospective liver biopsy trials or some prospective measure that, that can be validated, doing these retrospective cross sectional database looks at the prevalence and incidence of disease is going to undercall it by quite a bit. That's just my opinion, and I'm sure people disagree, but I just think we're minimizing the real prevalence of what's going on here. And, and I'll also say that we can make a big push at primary care to get patients to gastroenterologists, but having just come from two of my partner's offices across town today, until I have a therapy to put in their hands, they're going to say, go back to your primary care for lifestyle modification and thank you for the upper and lower endoscopy that you provided to me by sending this patient forward. And what that's going to do is a negative feedback loop for my primary care provider who's going to say, well, what good was it to send that patient up? Why should I even look for this until we have an effective therapy? So it's a vicious cycle. Just to follow up on this point, and I think Stephen said it very well there, the danger with studies like that study coming out of Spain is that you never know the denominator. You acquire people with a liver stiffness of greater than eight and you study some of those you have no concept of what you've failed to pick up with an imperfect test, and therefore you will always underestimate it. That's one of the big challenges with that design of study. And the only way you can get around it is either to biopsy the whole lot, which is not realistic, sadly, or alternatively, you have to follow them up and find out what happened. And, you know, those are the only two ways I can think of. I mean, Ian Mazin, I don't know if there's 
uh, another way you guys have thought of it. But but that would be the challenge, in my opinion. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is a very difficult nut to crack, isn't it? Otherwise, we'd all have solved it by now. And I think we're going to struggle to do any large scale biopsy studies. So we we've got to be settling large scale prospective biomarker based studies. If if and I think it is if we're going to do studies like this. Ultimately, it comes down to what we think liver disease that needs treating looks like and finding ways to best identify those patients. Because in in reality, we cannot be diagnosing one in five or one in four or perhaps even one in three adults with fatty liver disease and then going on and restratifying them and telling the majority of them that actually this is a bit of a the phrase from Southampton is this is a liver warning I don't know what that means and nor do I know how it's actionable to the patient so we have to be clear what it is that we think is important whether that's going to be patients that we're going to treat whether that's going to be patients who we're going to follow up all important questions and this and this goes for well the, the two common liver diseases so alcohol and naffold and to bring us back to Louisa's point about pathways one of the issues is that we've got two types of pathways at the moment or three perhaps one that looks at people who've got abnormal liver blood tests and aims to diagnose everybody ones that look at fibrosis generally in the population considering both alcohol and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and a third that is risk stratification after diagnosis and we need to decide or ideally do studies to figure out which is the best of those approaches in what context because at the moment we're providing mixed sometimes complex messages to primary care. And I don't think it's particularly surprising that the uptake of those pathways is limited. So going back to the point about you send the primary care patient, the hepatologist, hepatologist says, until you have drugs, I'm sending you back to primary care for diet and exercise. Will the best strategy change when we have drugs, when we have better drugs, when we have more drugs, and when we have greater faith in our non-invasive tests? In other words, is, is the right strategy for, for looking at patients, how strongly is it going to be correlated to what we can do for the patient and how easy it is to do it? It certainly makes the argument for testing a lot easier if you've got something, a clear downstream strategy. Say, if I find this, then we're going to do, you know, find X, we're going to do Y. The big question in the treatment piece that we didn't discuss is, uh, is exactly what the indication for treatment will be and in what populations. So the same time as the ILC was on, the, AD, the American Diabetes Association meeting was on, and they've published a series of viewpoints um, in Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology that accompanies their postgraduate course and I'd encourage people to go and look at them because they are terrific and they cover very diverse topics from how to intervene on highly processed foods um, all the way to complex management of type 2 diabetes and there's an interesting discussion piece comparing the American and uh, European Diabetes Association guidelines with the European Society of Cardiology guidance and you can see there that the indications for the types of drugs that we would like to think of as commonly used therapies pending trials, namely semaglutide, SGLT2s, drugs that have a broadly pluripotent effect on the patient's phenotype are going to be highly prescribed and probably more so as time goes on. And at what point the indication for those drugs becomes a liver indication rather than a diabetes and cardiovascular risk reduction indication is unclear. And it seems to me that the greatest risk to the patient until they've got cirrhosis, sticking to the ordinal scales, but until they've got cirrhosis is a cardiovascular risk indication. And so I think we've got to be able to articulate what is going to be important, the population that's going to be appropriate for a liver-indicated treatment. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Over the next week and a half, we will be posting sessions that are edits 
of the various contributions made at NASHTAG, Fourth Global Nash Congress, and Digital ILC of the past week. On December 14th, I will be away on vacation, but Donna Cryer will be hosting an episode on completion of clinical trials and what it takes to get there successfully. And I will be back again on the 21st talking about why statins are not like NASH. Later in the month, we will have a celebration of our 20,000 download, and we have much good to look forward to in August and September. I'll tell you about that in a couple of weeks. I hope you'll join us. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.